Hello, and welcome to Office Hours. Our show is dedicated to answering your questions about media and virtual production. We have a fine panel assembled here to do that for you. If you'd like to ask any questions, go to officehours.global. There you can submit your questions into our Makana answering uh, service and find out about some of the other things that uh, other activities. Uh, really, it's about our community. Uh, this is just when we hold our office hours uh, every day. But um, anyway, we'll get right into our questions. Mitchell, what do we have? Thank you, Josh. Our first question comes to us from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, what is the difference between a ham radio microphone and a regular mic? For example, the Heil PR40 is listed as both a ham radio and a broadcaster microphone, and they have a link to it there. Go ahead, Mitchell. Well, any microphone that works and does what a microphone does could be used uh, in a ham shack, but uh, for the most part, uh, ham radio microphones uh, of the handheld variety all have push to talk. So you can key your transmitter, talk, and then let go. They generally don't leave them in a locked position. So that means a handheld with a push to talk button, uh, a desktop like the old Estatic, which was on a stock, and the whole handle itself had a button in it that allowed you to key the transmitter. Those are typical uh, ham radio operated uh, microphones. A lot of them also have uh, preamps built into a uh, desktop console so that you can adjust the uh, modulation level because a ham radio operator is very keen to get maximal modulation and they're probably looking at a scope or some other device that lets them see how much volume. So they're very concerned about the, uh, the levels they're sending in there. And you can be anything from a condenser to a dynamic like the Heil PR40 uh, to even a carbon microphone. I remember the old carbon mics. If you could shake them, uh, you could hear the carbon granules inside of it moving. So of the uh, three types, uh, I would prefer the, uh, the dynamic for a ham setup. Thanks, Mitchell. Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, my license has long expired. Mr. Preto, who is next, will is a more uh, current uh, ham. My first instinct was I would never spend that amount of money on a ham license, on a ham microphone. You know, if you're in shortwave, then you just really don't need that quality of sound. And if you're doing FN, then you want as Mitch had a push to talk. I, I think the other thing is I would. I don't know. I've seen a ham rig that would take, a, you know, a, a professional input it's probably trs or something so you'd need to be able to make sure that microphone worked uh with uh, with the rig you're buying john care to weigh in paul knows all this kk7 bpd um and and bob specifically narrows those frequency responses on those ones that are specifically designed for ham radio so they sound they're really high energy in the vocal range as well there you go uh let's go to our next question from Stan Chan in San Francisco, California. We've got a bunch of regular BNC connectors, but also ordering Nutric rear twists. What are the benefits of the Nutric ones? And should I dump the old ones and should I just use the rear twists? Um, I know that these are the preferred, um, uh, these are the preferred uh, brand and uh, quality. There are several. Um, I know YouTuber sound speeds are really big on those as well. And I believe the putting them on and off. Mitchell, care to weigh in? Yeah, it's uh, the, the twister are, are very helpful. First of all, they're easy to use. They're Nutric, which means they'll last forever. And the other thing is that once you've installed it in your rack and you need to go in later and you've got this high concentration 
of BNC connectors. It's very hard with a regular BNC to get your little fingers in there without using a uh, device like a trumpet, which is a device that allows you to slide it over the wire and crank the uh, the BNC out. The twists have a little uh, spacer on there. You can get it with your fingertips real easily. So it's probably a much better uh, investment to make. And uh, also be careful you get the right wire to go with the right connectors. I've always called them Neutrik. I don't know if that's just me. but uh, Neutrik, Neutrik, tomato, tomato, you know. <laughs> there we go. Let's go to our next question. Next question here from Douglas Carmichael. When I watch behind-the-scenes videos of many large events, they typically use a very clipped style on comms. Go, no go, copy, copy that. However, the banter before office hours seems to be very relaxed and informal. Why could that be? Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, the first is that uh, like a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert is much more high stakes than uh, this program. I'm not saying that we don't like to keep a clean show and keep it professional, but there's just a lot more money riding on on every every performance by them. Uh, so in general, the people behind the scenes are going to be very sharp, very on point, uh, in and out with their communication as efficiently as possible. Another thing that's going on is that this program does have another tier of people who are operating behind the scenes, and they tend they, they have the job of keeping their communications shorter and cleaner, and the panelists and hosts have the job of keeping it more informal and casual and welcoming to anybody who might pop in. So that that would be contributing to that. Thanks, Jesse. Mitchell. Yeah, there's a whole different uh, stuff going on behind the scenes. Our comms, uh, which we use Unity for, um, is probably more like what you were uh, referring to there, Douglas, uh, the go, no go, copy that, uh, direct to so-and-so. Um, we, the reason for it on comms is you don't want to have a lot of chatty stuff going on because somebody may be listening to something else. They may be on the air and talking, which is very hard to talk and listen to somebody. So economies of, uh, of wordage uh, on Unity always works best, and that's pretty much universal. Jesse, some more to add? Yes, the, the one time uh, the, the behind-the-scenes people came onto my headphones, it uh, scared me very, very much. And then when it turned out to be a, uh, a casual, friendly compliment, I was, I, I was surprised that was even allowed. I was very happy to hear it. Do you mean on, do you mean on this show or, or in your own experience? On this show, okay. Yeah, and I can say, um, Douglas, that um, you know we can view this show in many different ways. Uh, many of us are watching it on YouTube. Um, there is a uh, some uh, there is a, a way you can view it in after hours too. So we get to see and hear the banter with the panel. Yeah, now that turned me around. The banter, the panel banter, uh, you know, before the show, which is not the comms. Um, our comms are actually much more succinct and much more to the point than the banter that we have uh, among the panelists before. And it is recommended. Um, this is probably a good opportunity to um, talk about our, our opportunity to volunteer. If you get the email, which you should, might be in your junk mailbox, by the way. Um, there is an opportunity to help out, team opportunities. One of those is to join the show. So when we have comms uh, talking to each other, it is... Um, preferable that we say what we need to say in the quickest time period possible. Um, I, I don't know. I call it long keying. It might be something more, more like a ham thing, but holding down microphone and talking on a channel for a long time means that um, our, our comms, you can um, over talk each other, but it's still not, you know, you, you don't step on each other like uh, only uh, 
a one-way comms. But still, it's always best to be succinct. And it's an art form to be able to, to think about what you want to say and say it in the, uh, in the quickest amount of time possible. Um, and oftentimes, too, um, just saying things on comms, uh, we eliminate all doubt as to whether that message got through. So we have a bit of a, a, of a check that happens whenever you say something to someone, it's customary for us to say copy so that we understand that that message has been received. Uh, typically, we would say Roger, meaning that we've not only received that uh, that transmission, but we intend to do something about it. So that quick uh, communication style is very effective in running any backend. And um, usually when someone is just new and onboarding on the comms, they haven't got it yet. So these are professionals. So they are uh, trained in the art of saying exactly what they need to say in the least amount of time. And it's so fantastic when it, when everyone's on board with that because the, the team can move in unison. Uh, Mitchell, want to weigh, weigh in? Copy that, Josh. Uh, go for Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say it's interesting that I grew up in the UK and Roger means something different to us. So we would have Roger... Wilco. Uh, sorry there, I lost the transmission there on you, uh, Nigel. We're going to get on that. We'll check your 20 in just a moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm. you know, it was a cliffhanger too. I wanted to know what the UK Roger was. Am I, am I back? You're back. You're back. Okay, ahead, so apologies. I had a technical <laughs> flizzle. Uh, Roger, it, it, you know, I grew up in the cadet force in the, in the UK. So Roger would mean I heard you. And if someone said Wilco would mean I've heard you and will act. And so as a good example of your don't over-communicate, occasionally in English war films, you'll see them say Roger and Wilco, and that would be redundant. Belt suspenders, if you will. All right. Good, good to know. And it's always fascinating to, to see the colloquialisms uh, in any professional trade. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. Um, people develop local things that they do. And as people circulate into international communities, sometimes they bring their, their terminology with them. So interesting to know. Uh, Stefan. Yeah. And just uh, a little clarif clarification, maybe Wilco stands for will comply. Will comply. Never knew that. Fantastic. Thanks Comes Stefan. From, uh, air traffic controllers. Nice. I know. I think, um, I know that there's more than one phonetic uh, system at play. I think NATO has one uh, when they use the different phonetics, and there's a few other ones. I think the airlines use the the NATO ones, if I'm not mistaken. Um, by the way, we have our own office hours NATO uh, phonetic, so just so you know, I might get drop that in. Mitchell, AOK was one of them. I think Alan Shepard was the first to use that. OK is still being used. Nice. Is there a certain um, nuance to A? -OK? I don't know. I don't know what the A stands for. Maybe acknowledged and okay. Um, somebody that's smarter than I am can probably chime in and uh, give you the acronym. But it's just a, uh, a general a, a Air Force term that's used quite a bit. Who did you say coined that, Mitchell? Alan Shepard in his first flight. A. Okay. Well, it does start with an A. Hmm. Okay. Might be just it, it rhymes with K. There you go. Yeah, and um, speaking of the phonetics, um, 
the phonetics using phonetic, you know, alpha, beta, Charlie, uh, in order to communicate things is all about getting more signal and less noise um, using your, your voice. So making sure that, that um, your communications are heard. Uh, and typically, the words that are specifically chosen cannot be mistaken for, for similar words. And that's why they're you know, somewhat, somewhat standardized as far as, you know, how to make communications. But um, I believe we did have a um, uh, second hour on comms, but it's, uh, it's always something that... Uh, and since we have hams back. here, they could probably go down the whole alphabet. Papa, Foxtrot. Uh, what's N, John? N is... November. 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 That's it. Fantastic. And I, I wondered, too, that, that those are all the NATO... Uh, phonetics, right? Yeah. Was there another like s- closely competing phonetic uh, alphabet that that uh, is in circulation, or is it Klingon? Is that- Klingon has their own. <laughs> the Kling- That's right. That's right. There's a lot of case there. I think right. I think there are some words in the NATO that are viewed politically sensitive. So, particularly the one for Z or Z um, is. Question. So some people swap some of those out uh, and start putting in uh, names, but but most people who know the phonetic alphabet from from the NATO just it's really hard to stop and think about and change. I think they uh, use Zeke now for that word. Nice. Yeah, it's usually best if it's a word that's not um, you know it's very it's it's not confused with another word, and there's probably lots of different words you can use. I can say from having created a phonetic alphabet that there are some words that are particularly tricky to make. Um, I believe X-ray uh, is is the X, right, in the NATO one. Making that one for office hours was particularly difficult. Yeah. But uh, you, you'd prefer not to say the letter of the word that you're, you know, at beginning with the phonetics, but um, sometimes there's there's just those tricky letters that uh, that's all you can do. Um all right, fantastic. Hopefully, we've given you some food for thought. It's it's always very interesting in watching professionals talk over comms. And if you maybe if you don't quite catch the lingo the first time around, once you understand the keys to it, watching them um, perform on comms, having that back channel is fascinating to to see that happen at the highest levels of our of our industry. Let's go to our next question, Mitchell. From James Fosling in Minneapolis, Minnesota. James asked, just watched a good YouTube video on FM synthesis. Is there anything we could do as a community to curate good audio video tutorials, explanations, reviews of YouTubers? Do we just have to find what works best for us on our own? Yeah, I think, um, James, what people are mostly interesting interested in in um, tutorials is that we get directly to the point. You can tell people that have just started making videos and they're like, hey, uh, on YouTube particularly, hey, welcome to my channel. You know, I've decided to make this video because I know what I'm interested in. Typically, if I'm using YouTube as a search engine and to find things, if I find a tutorial, I'm probably not interested in all the minutiae around why you created the video, but having that succinct information curated to the point, I mean, we just talked about phonetics and the, the comms speak. It's basically the same point. I want more signal, less noise, more protein, and less filler um, in my YouTube videos. Uh, what do you think, Nigel? 
Yeah, I think part of this is the YouTube algorithms, and I'm not the, the person with the latest knowledge of all of those, but there was a while that we were all being told we had to make videos over 10 minutes or do something or the other. And that drove this thought that the people had an idea and a good thing that would take one minute to explain, which would be fine in a short, but they then turned it into a 10-minute video, and it became incredibly tedious to watch. Yeah, the nice thing I like about those is YouTube now has that little heat map down by the progress bar, and you're like, "There's where the there's where the meat's at, right there." Go ahead, John. This is a this is a million dollar question for for the Office Hours database. We're trying to link between Jeffrey and I. We're trying to link my database up up with his notes inside of YouTube, so that you're going to be able to quickly find stuff within the videos, and then for everything else. Filmot, F-I-L-M-M-O-T, I'll put it in the chat room, is a great subtitler searcher for YouTube. It's an amazing tool. Yeah, I believe for the full powers of Filmot to work, the channel has to have the, it uses the automatically generated credit. So you, you need to have that turned on so that the system can parse that. But fantastic. I think there's even like, speaking of heat maps, there's like a, uh, a little bit of a word cloud you can have for a channel. It's a good way of sort of characterizing it. The the most commonly used phrases uh, you can have. I remember um, Guy and Jonas uh, showing us that. It's a fantastic tool. You know, once that data is there and can be parsed, there's some really interesting things you could find with it. Let's go to our next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, could Wave or a similar tool help make sure video content is accessible? Go ahead, Mitchell. And just to uh, to make that clear, that's not Waves the audio plugin. It's Wave a plugin for uh, checking accessibility on websites. Uh, we had a whole uh, hour long second hour yesterday with Laura Thompson talking about it, and uh, Laura indicates that there's going to be a lab Thursdays from 4:30 p.m. or PT Pacific time, uh, so you get a chance to hear more about it. As far as video goes, I think it might be possible. Um, it uh, would have to traverse the metadata. Uh, that's associated with it or not associated with it in order to determine whether or not it's properly describing what's uh, being viewed on the video. Thank you, Mitchell, for that. Appreciate uh, Laura's second hour. Go ahead, Harshi. So in the uh, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG or WCAG, um, video is part of one of the pillars of um, the guidelines. So when we were talking about like all tags and stuff, that is one format. But for video, um, the best uh, alternative, I would say, would be audio description. So that's what I was asking questions about many times over just with audio description or knowing that chain, knowing that process and what extra layers does it take? Do we need multi-tracking? What do we need in our product? So I would say audio description would fit that layer of meeting that need. Um, and then as far as logos and stuff, you know, if you're, if you have an intro with music, that's giving you some kind of sound, that's giving you some kind of um, notification or understandability, which is part of the guidelines of uh, WCAG. And so within video, there isn't anything specific, but again, uh, having proper colors contrasted when you start the video and you end the video. So when you roll the credits, it's black with white text that becomes a higher contrast. And so it's what you want to make sure that the end person understands. And then at the end of the day, is it understandable? 
Um, that is part of the guidelines. And then is it robust? Can I put it through, you know, an iPhone? Can I put it through an Android device? Can I put it through a Windows machine? So when it meets those guidelines or criterion, uh, you pretty much would pass. So Wave is a great tool, but there's many other types of tools that you could take to reference of to see that how much have you got done or how much you need to get done. Thanks for that, Harshi. And, you know, some people just prefer to listen to shows like this from the audio version, too. So making those cues available gives your content uh, a wider distribution. I see Harshi nodding his head. So, yeah. Let's yeah, go to so our next question. Just a quick note real quick there. Uh, mm -hmm. Whenever you do do that, the explanations helps. So if you think like a radio person, a person on the radio is always explaining things and, you know, giving you that experience as if you're looking at the screen with them so just remember to be give you a great voice of a radio head and you'll get your information across the, the planet i just got the you know memory of are the like baseball announcer during a um a cancellation or a delay and they're like stretching and filling time and they've got a wax on about some some topic to keep the uh to keep the <laughs> yeah keep keep the uh uh, the on share the the, um, the program going and and stretching, but uh, yeah, fantastic. Let's go to our next question from L. Wilson Spiro in Berlin. For those of you who need to, what are your go-to websites for sourcing sound effects that are licensed for commercial use or are public domain? For example, free theatrical performances. What do you use, Jesse? Uh, what it lacks in absolute quality, it makes up for in breadth of content. I use uh, story blocks for music, sound effects, and occasionally templates. And how do you find the parsing um, of that website? Uh, we'll leave it there. <laughs> I was curious about that. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I have the entire Sound Ideas uh, music libraries, quite a few discs, and I have not transferred them to... Uh, digital, I have to look them up the old-fashioned way through an index or a database database uh, to find them. The other one uh, that I do use occasionally if I can't find it quickly or I'm just lazy, um, I go to sounddogs.com, and they are a big deal when it comes to doing a search. You can preview them. Uh, they watermark them, so you have to buy them. Both of these services I just mentioned, you have to buy those effects. And there's a third, and that is make it yourself. It's possible to do a pretty good job of doing that. If you've got like a, uh, a shotgun mic or a 416, uh, you can go out and record it yourself and uh, don't have to pay anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure that, that there's pros and cons of, you know, creating your own content and, you know, looking for things, finding things. That's why I asked Jesse about, you know, parsing the some of the things. Um, having content and being able to find it, I guess, are, are two different things. But I'm sure there's advantages and disadvantages to each. Mitchell? Yeah, you'd be surprised how many uh, sound designers use uh, vocalizations or mouth sounds to simulate something. I was doing a, a political commercial once, and I had to get this bird flying in the background. I was like, mm, I don't have that. I went... So that's just one of the ways we do it. I'm thinking of uh, Victor Borg. Uh, go ahead, uh, Borga, rather. Uh, Jesse? Uh, that was needlessly harsh of me. There's there's a lot of good content on Storyblocks, um, but it is it is very much a buckshot approach to the website that they've taken. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm curious though. Um, I'm 
not that familiar with um, all of the ins and outs. Um, you know, when you start to think about creating and looking at content and getting your audio and, and, and fill and even video parts or even photos, what are the rules and laws around fair use, um, licensing? Um, probably would be a good second hour. Maybe we'll put that in our suggestions in Discord and see if there's someone that is authoritative that can, can speak to that. I think that would be helpful for our community. Let's go to our next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida asking, how do you pitch an idea for a web show? Nigel. So I guess it depends who you're pitching it to because different people will have different requirements. But, but so let's talk generally about a pitch. Uh, you want to know who the audience is and why they would watch it. And then if it's a commercial company that you want to sponsor it, how they're going to make money out of it. But I think I think the first two are, are really at the core of this idea and where most of the stuff that goes wrong and some of the stuff I think that uh, Josh was talking about earlier is what you've got to be careful of. This is not just you wanting to give information, that there's an audience there to receive it. And part of the problem is why some of the YouTube videos and some of that stuff don't get an audience are, they haven't thought about what the audience wants to hear rather than what they want to tell them. Jesse? Um, for pitches at any level, uh, keep your pitch a lot briefer than you think you should keep it. Like if you're thinking to go in and uh, spend 20 minutes talking, you have pretty much blown your pitch, I, I can say with a lot of confidence. Uh, try to keep your, your pitch to three minutes, knowing that you're going to go over and bleed into five to seven minutes, because it just takes time to say what you need to say. Uh, while you're pitching, focus on characters and emotion. Do not get lost in the weeds with plot machinations, and really don't get lost in the weed with uh, sci-fi technology explanations. Stay focused on uh, the people and the emotions that they will go through in your story. And always remember that you're not just pitching your story, you're pitching your Yourself. This is not you versus the executives. Uh, go in, listen to what they have to say to their to, uh, about your idea. If they give you feedback, that is a gift to you, not an insult. Fantastic. It sounds like you have some experience there, Jesse. It really made me chuckle when you talked about the sci-fi explanations in your pitch. I don't know many elevator rides that last for 20 minutes, just saying. Uh, Stefan? Yeah, and think about is your audience there where you want to uh, put this video? Uh, for example, many, many people are trying to advertise many things, but they just advertise it in the wrong place where their audience isn't watching. Gotcha. And if, if it helps, I believe Andy mentioned pitching this to corporate execs as opposed to other ways you might pitch. Uh, go ahead, John. And make sure that you have a clear and specific cost-benefit analysis to explain how the investment into the show will bring benefit to the company. So less on the sci-fi explanations and more to the cost-benefit. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Nigel? Yeah, I just spotted the corporate thing as well. So I'll, I'll tell you that I, as a CEO, CMO, I got these all the time. So here's the harsh reality. You have about 30 seconds to engage my interest. And I'll give you 30 seconds, but probably not on much longer than that. So in 30 seconds, you haven't left a hook that makes me think this solves a problem I have. Then you're in real trouble. By the way, do your research about me and the company before you do that. Um, and be really clear, without being creepy about it, be really clear that you've done that. And again, I've, I've mentioned this before, the four Ps is the fastest way to fix this. So there's this position 
This is why it's a problem. The possibilities of this, what we propose is a web show to do that. And if you can get that tight into, you know, into 30 seconds or a minute, then you've bought the next five minutes of the conversation. It's amazing how being concise has pretty much become a theme uh, today. Good, Mark. So I think Nigel is right uh, in the show, in the panel discussion that Andy is saying that uh, he's pitching to corporate execs for a company web show. So I don't know if this is something where you would stay away from a PowerPoint and maybe show a little bit of the storyboard that you've decided to run through a season to give the executives an idea of where it's going to go. Yeah, it, 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 I'm sure that a big part of that is knowing who your audience is and what's of interest to them. But um, I think the overall categories that Nigel mentioned are, are pretty universal. Let's go to our next question. And it's from John Foltz in Sealings Grove, Pennsylvania. My sister can barely use her hands due to multiple sclerosis. Does anyone know where I can find info on how she can use a computer easily? Uh, go ahead, Harshin. So if you uh, want to, uh, let's say, dive into the Google ecosystem, if you go to google.com slash accessibility, they have sections that might provide some videos and information where um, switch access might be something that she might be able to utilize. Um, on the Android side, you also have voice access. So if you wanted to, let's say, get onto YouTube, you could use your voice to uh, voice through all the menus and say, okay, go to subscription, go to the first video, go to the second video. And uh, that could revitalize uh, uh, some some life. I have MS as well, so uh, I could definitely sympathize with that. And with uh, different uh, platforms such as Apple, they have similar tools as well. So switch access is using it may be type of a toggle or switch to make things easier rather than double tapping or using uh, gestures on a touchscreen. So that might be one method. There's also hooking up a keyboard to the uh, device. So that could allow you to probably function a little bit better. Um, Logitech mechanical keyboard, for example, can hook up your phone, your computer, and you could switch back and forth from it. So if that offers any help and um, a lot of text-to-speech variants. So if you have any other extra questions, just throw them in and I'll try to get them answered. Thanks for that, Harshid. And I believe uh, Laura was able to submit a, um, a link in the chat, given that you're Pennsylvania is a PA link for you there. So check the uh, the chat there, uh, John. Uh, let's go to our next question. David Brady from New York, New York, asking, over the summer at the AVIT Summit, there was a live captioning solution from ENCO. It was in use during all the keynotes. It was surprisingly accurate and fast. Has anyone ever seen or used it? Mitchell? Anybody that uh, had, has uh, been in the business of uh, searching for radio automation knows the name ENCO. They have the famous DAD uh, system. So at a very early unveiling of their captioning system, um, I got a chance to see it, and I was simply amazed because I'm always used to some human interface involved in doing the captioning. Uh, the ENCO uh, device is excellent, um, very low latency, very intuitive, and probably one of the best standards out there now for doing it uh, that I've seen. I can't speak for all of them, but uh, ENCO, I'm already familiar with them as a uh, solid uh, radio automation system. Harshid. 
Uh, I wanted to direct uh, to the Discord uh, server for office hours. We have a section there called uh, either multi-language or captioning. Um, you might drop the question in there because I've always seen some nice conversations that uh, happen in there organically, and you might get a little bit more precise answer to the question about the specific device and the setup. Thanks for that, Harshid. Hopefully that's helpful. Let's go to our next question. Douglas Carmichael is in. Douglas asks, after doing some research, I discovered the Savant Home audio system uses AVB over Ethernet. Would it be possible to inject a stereo audio stream from a Dante AES source into the network? Go ahead, Mitchell. I'm flying a little uh, off uh, off kilter here, but um, uh, AVB is a different system than Dante. It's completely different. Uh, it's a competing system and an older system uh, that includes video, and AES is a specification for digital audio. So as long as you have something that can transfer a Dante or an AES source into an AVB uh, system or vice versa, um, you're going to be okay. But um, that's usually not uh, a good home remedy for a home uh, audio system. Oh, thanks, Mitchell. And You'll probably, Douglas, get a better, uh, more um, contextual answer if you ask those on Wednesdays. Oftentimes we have our audio professionals there, then they can take you uh, a lot a lot deeper field on those questions. But thanks for your question. Let's go to our next one. And it's from Douglas Carmichael again. What does the panel think of Tata Communications purchasing the Switch? Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, so uh, I hadn't seen this news, but, um, you know, the Switch is a huge network switching uh, group. They have a great data center actually very near John in Vegas, which used to be owned by Enron, which looks like a uh, fortress. Uh, John probably has more details of that. I think Tata is an amazing company. I mean, they are buying lots of things. They are probably one of India's largest uh, businesses. They own Land Rover. They own all sorts of things. And I think... Uh, you know, any country that wants to manage its infrastructure needs to watch at who's buying which pieces. Go ahead, John. Uh, unfortunately, this switch is a different switch than the switch. This is Switch Communications. This is a different company. They're a hosting company, and they just got sold. Well, lots of churn in this field. So as people's... Uh, you know, methods of, of monetizing change. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I think, um, Sennheiser sold off all of their, their audio products to a company that, uh, focuses on making hearing, hearing aid products. So it's, it's interesting about how the monetization of things happen. Let's go to our next question. From Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, what is your choice for a field recorder to the self-contained? Jesse. Uh, we use the Zoom H5 uh, and H6 sometimes, and increasingly we plug directly into the Blackmagic camera. We compare the noise floors of those two devices, and they're incredibly similar. And the, you compare the noise floors of the cameras, um, Mike preamp and the, the recorder? Is the, that, the, is that uh, an XLR balance signal going into the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema is... Uh, pretty similar to going into a, uh, an H6 or an H4N even. 
I'm not saying that the H4N is the industry leader, but it, it is comparable enough that we, we feel confident switching those two out. Uh, the, what you lose is the number of inputs if you're on the 4K or the old 6K. Gotcha. Thanks for that. Uh, Mitchell? Yeah, prefer the uh, Atomos line if you're going to do a- external recording. Um, certainly sound devices if it's audio. Uh, the Zoom, as Jesse mentioned, the Tascam also has a device for doing that, just audio. Nice. And, um, you know, um, we we talk a lot about the, the MixPre line here. I don't have, I can't comment on it, but one of the uh, reasons why we often use a field recorder in a studio environment is because it has uh, the ability, the second version of them anyway, has the ability to have noise assist along with it. So if you're looking to do a fast turnaround and uh, have that um, great noise cancellation cut out, that is a, a line of products that you can look into. Let's go to our next question. And next question for Hush, from Harshid Trivedi in Daytona Beach, Florida, and here in our panel, what does modular mean? Well, I'm, I'm sure it depends on the context, uh, Harshid. Uh, would you like to uh, fill in where we? Uh, sure. Uh, where you were hearing it from? The first question that we had, uh, we used we used the word modular, modular or modu with microphones, I guess, and uh, just a term. Uh, I was like, wait, I don't know what that really means. So, uh, I don't know if Mitchell or anybody else has a bit of insight. Yeah, the, the impression I get with modular is that there are modules or there's different pieces, components, as opposed to something that is uh, built, um, you know, com- complete. There's things that you could interchange or, or add in or take out. Um, again, context is helpful for that. What about what about in the sense of when he was saying the when you're on the radio, you your voice is more modular or... Mm. Something of that nature. That he used a phrase of that nature. So ah. it's like the voice becomes more modular, and just that phrase didn't make didn't register. Go ahead, Mitch. Um, I, I suspect I understand what you're saying, Hershey. It's more modulated uh, would be the term as yeah, opposed yeah, to modular. Word. Yeah, that word. When you're modulating your voice, you're controlling the dynamics of your voice as you speak it. Um, in 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 order to make more consistent volume going down the line to the processing and eventually the transmitter. So, um, yeah, I've heard that used before. Generally, I've not heard modular applied to uh, that context. And is that, uh, I believe I've heard it talk about modulate is highs and lows, uh, being able to, to getting that range, that dynamic range. Go ahead, Mark. Well, you know, coming from the architecture and construction background, modular just means a series of components used to build a bigger system that might be larger. So if you're going to do a modular building, it would be even bays that can easily be added onto in different phases. But it has nothing to do with modular microphones or modular voice. Yeah, the word is modulated, and I still appreciate that explanation. Gotcha. Thanks. There's so there's so many words, and they're so close together. Uh, Nigel? No, I think that just got resolved. I was going to say, I think we're confusing uh, where modulated was used with modular. Right. Yeah, I, 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 took, I took a speaking class, and modulating was one of the things that was a, a point to work on, where you, um, you vary your pitch and pace and also your, your volume uh, to sound more dynamic. You know, as opposed to speaking in a monotone all of the time, right? So, um, 
having having that's what's of interest to us. No one speaks in a monotone, uh, you know, that in, in our natural conversation. Um, hope that's helpful for you too, Harshid. Let's go to our next question. And it's from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking who plans on checking into after hours for New Year's Eve. Go ahead, Mitchell. I'm definitely going to have a lot of tada emojis uh, ready to go. They're going to be all over my screen. John. So my original streaming company, which was birthed in 1996, called Hello Network, we did a stream where we started in Christmas Islands, and then we had we had users all over the world, and we went into every time zone that we had a user in those time zones and streamed it live 24 hours around the clock. It was a lot of fun. Our community is sort of built in uh, with things that we can do 24 hours because, as you know, um, After Hours runs 24 hours a day. Well, 23 and 59 minutes, uh, basically, and uh, seven days a week. So it's uh, it's, a, it's a common community that we have. If you've not taken the opportunity, there are certain things that you can only see in After Hours. Um for example, some of the show, we don't broadcast it on Sunday, but if you come in to watch the Quiet Hour Theater, you can uh, take in the show. Um, and um, of course, After Hours is a great place in general to get your uh, tech questions answered. Go ahead, Stefan. Yeah, some of our friends uh, who are every now and then in the panel are located in Australia and Melbourne. They already have 2.40 p.m. Uh, a.m., sorry. And uh, our friend uh, Mickey Makachor in Manila, he's celebrating New Year in 20 minutes. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing about time. It's not the same depending on, on where you're at. So... <laughs> It's, it has to be a 24-hour celebration because that's how many hours there are. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. My favorite uh, Doctor Who character says, it's a timey-wimey thing. And so it's uh, kind of interesting that uh, when we're celebrating, it's actually already been celebrated somewhere else. So hopefully they can pass on uh, the next day's Powerball winning ticket numbers. Then we'd really have something to celebrate, wouldn't we? Indeed. John? If you were able to get into a very fast rocket or a plane and start at the Christmas Island and go around the world at that speed, you could celebrate all 24 time zones. Nice. What's the uh, airspeed velocity of that? Uh, of About that a thousand plane? miles an hour. <laughs> there you go. That's a lot of G's. Uh, that's fantastic. And um, just so you know, we are happy to take on a few more questions before we start our education hour. So we'll, we'll head to our next question, Mitchell. Next question coming in from Chad Lafarge in Columbia, Missouri. Chad asked, today ends 2022. What will you all do differently next year? Hmm. Interesting. I think to start things off, I will start making sure that I write 2023 instead of 2022 starting next year. Yeah. John? John Preto, now with AI for 2023. <laughs> you want to make sure you get that, uh, you know, get it on that foundational level there. Good good thinking. Yeah. Nigel? I've never been a great New Year's resolution uh, type of person, partly because I try and think about the future I want to live into rather than the past that I've come from. Um, 
And, and of course, at the end of the day, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing now and not waiting till January the 1st. And if you ask me about my diet, I'll tell you that I don't apply that rule. Yeah, I, I intend to stop procrastinating in 2023. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, less uh, your muteds. I don't want to have as many of those as I had uh, this past year. Um, the other thing is that I want to ban um, corn sugar from my uh, a high fructose corn syrup from my diet. Is the to me it is the uh, disastrous effect on humanity. So I'd like to ban that from my diet. So that's my diet contribution. Could be reading labels, Stefan. Yeah, I steal that from uh, Marcus Brown Lee. He said his New Year's uh, resolution is 8K. Nice. Okay. More Ks uh, in the coming year. Yeah, so it's a good time to take a recollection and see where we've come. Um, we will be doing some planning. I will say that uh, our next uh, next week of office hours. We'll be looking forward as to the next quarter, at least, about what type of topics that we're going to be using. So stay tuned for uh, next week's show where we get to ask you. So if there's preferences that you have, that uh, topics that you'd like to see us cover on the different days that we have, um, show up and uh, put your questions into Mukana and we'll, we'll take note of that. So this is just yet another way that uh, you, the producers, get to dictate how the show goes and where it goes. Let's go to our next question. And it's from Bob Sturdivant in San Antonio, Texas. Does anyone on the panel use some type of audio tech to help their pets handle the stress of the fireworks that are being fired off for New Year's? Let's see. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. They make a wrap. Uh, it's probably available in any of the pet centers, so you can rush out and get it today. Uh, that They wear it like a little sweater, and it makes them feel more comfortable during those times. The other thing is just sort of put them in your uh, Zoom room. It's bound to be a little more soundproof. Um, some pets react to it differently. Uh, yeah, it's called the Thunder Shirt. Thank you, Laura. Um, it works great. Nice. If there's a, some type of uh, elaborate noise cancellation uh, that you might be able to, to do. Um, when it comes to noise, the low tech is putting a lot of mass between the noise and you uh, tends to be the only thing, especially uh, low-frequency noises. You know, and high-frequency noises, there's lots of things you can do, but uh, low-frequency, usually the, putting yeah, lots of... Yeah, the boom. The boom gets them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, have a, uh, have a, a fireworks shelter. That might be helpful. And let's go to our next question. And it's from Douglas Carmichael. The question, the Dead and Company Tour used a classic 1992 Gamble EX66 console at front of house along with an Avid S66L digital console for backup. Wouldn't a patch bay on a live console be a maintenance nightmare? And how do you get support for something that esoteric? Hmm. Go ahead, Mitchell. I'm going to guess... I know I'm, I'm reaching here. I think it's tradition, especially if you're a deadhead and you've been uh, doing uh, sound for uh, the Grateful Dead, who had the best sound before anybody did. I mean, it used to be in the days when they did early concerts, they used to stack their, uh, their instruments on the stage, and that would be about it. The Dead was the first to start putting uh, big, uh, big racks of gear, giant uh, speakers and other things up on the stage. So I would say that uh, part of that 
includes uh, staying with some equipment. And here's the thing. Old classic consoles that are made with uh, discrete uh, 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 components just sound better. Thanks, Mitchell. Let's go to our next question. TJ Asher, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is there any alternative to the Citus Link app for controlling my Aperture B7C lights? Hmm. Um, one would guess that um, the reason you're looking for uh, an alternate for the, the Citus Link app, I found, is actually one of the better as far as controlling uh, many of them. I have a, a small Aperture light that uses it too. Um, but as far as turning on that particular light, um, not certain whether there's another way to remotely control it. Um, of course, some of the lights will have a latching. Um, if, they can, if the lights can latch on, then you can use um, any number of IoT devices or just a simple switch. Um, the My back panel is a simple plug script that turns on fireworks is a bonus here, but, uh, yeah, just simply having something, if you have a, um, a, a latching piece of equipment, you can control it a number of different ways. But if you require, I would say that, um, I, I would share your concern about sometimes even a great app, uh, that's Wi-Fi uh, is, you know, tough to do. Bluetooth tends to be a better, uh, solution, uh, than having to, to pair with the Wi-Fi apps. What do you think, John? I think you really clapped underneath your desk and you're using the clapper to turn those lights on and off. Nice. Um, magicians never tell. Let's just say it, John. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully that, that, that helps you out, TJ. Let's get our next question. Next question in from Harshid Trevetti in Daytona Beach and here on our panel. Where else have you found Office Hours content outside of the community? Interesting. Harshid? Uh, have you found okay, it anywhere else? Run, 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 catch, caught it. Okay, I pulled the cocker myself, and here we are. Touchdown. Uh, we were on Reddit. Uh, one of my friends lives up in New York, and he, was, he just happened to call me on this specific thing, and I was like, huh, what happened? In the, so our comms uh, episode was on Reddit, and uh, somebody was speaking of uh, what comm systems they had compared to others, and they're like, hey, check this out. And... So I just kind of wondered with uh, just where else have you seen a video or, you know, heard about us or any of those weird anomalies like that that happened to you? So they were they were commenting on our, our use of Unity. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, so we, we they, they were using our video to to uh, have the best explanation about comms, which was uh, we use Unity. We uh, clear comms is another system that Alex has bought into. So uh, I think it was on the Alex Lindsay channel specifically, but it, it's pretty cool to you know see that our videos are floating about in the community. And uh, even Keely mentioned that uh, she watched a Mix Minus video, for example. So you know it's 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 good help out there to to pass these videos along. Yeah, I I I have heard people say that when they want to show what's the you know what is the potential that a Zoom meeting can reach. Oftentimes people point to office hours and say, look, this is this is all Zoom contribution. At one time it was just a webinar, but now we have a little more fancy bells and whistles. But of course, our contribution method here is using Zoom at its core, just a, a 1080p version of it. 
Go ahead, John. So there, so there was a real reporter that did a story on office hours, and I, I'm trying to find it on the inner tubes now, and it's not coming up. But we've been on PC Mag, we've been on, a, a, we've been on several of the tech websites uh, because of Alex's re relationship with uh, MacBreak Weekly. But I'm, I'm trying to find this real article. I don't know if it was New York Times or something like that, but I'll find it. Yeah, now that you mention it, John, it occurs to me. I think they, um, they interviewed. Uh, one of our one of our members there in it, but yeah, it was a, a major news outlet. Um, Hershey, sorry, did you have something I didn't mean to cut you off? Uh, continue on. Lost. <laughs> Go, ahead, Jesse. Oh, uh, the the pyrotechnician for our live shows. His uh, father was a little bit a little bit starstruck when he found out that uh, I was on the panel. <laughs> nice. Uh, what what uh, geography is that? We're in California. California? Okay. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, it's it's there's the the some of our tutorials and uh used to think. I know some some of the folks in our community made their own little like how to improve your audio and video um uh, contributions. But when we uh have a second hour on a topic, it's a great uh encapsulated thing, which is what we try to do is when we have a topic, if we really focus in on what we talked about being concise, right? So if um, in our our programming, we really get focused in on a specific topic, people that are searching for our content, they can, you know, search for it. They're looking for that specific topic and then have a very uh, concise and drilled down, um, you know, uh, discussion about that topic. So it's helpful for us. You'll notice uh, in some of our themes for second hours, um, we're not going to go too broad as far as the topics, but we really want to be a definitive source so we can get, um, you know, a deep into a topic as opposed to just having a general discussion about a topic. And that's how you make content that um, has a has a more evergreen shelf life than just a simple discussion. So it's something that could be of use for the community. Go ahead, Harshid. Yeah, so definitely to have the protein in the content. And um, sorry, I'm just going to continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. But um, yeah, so it's it's something that's, that's, you know, we think about this as being our conversation right here and now, but we can't think about, you know, how this, this information is helpful for people that, uh, that want to talk about it elsewhere. Uh, let's go to our next question. And it's from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, are there any online New Year's celebration to compete with the typical TV network fets? Mitchell? I am so tired. <laughs> Sorry, it's going to sound like a rant. Um, I'm so tired of what the networks are putting up there and consider it to be entertainment leading up to the uh, ball dropping in New York. Um, putting Anderson Cooper and some comedian, I don't know who it is this year, He's just a fish out of water. He's a newscaster. He has his reputation uh, to maintain. And yet here he is, a fish out of water, acting kind of silly. So um, I think that the other uh, issue is that uh, the TV broadcasters are now being asked to cons consume less um, libations during the uh, celebration because they got sort of incomprehensible. And uh, I guess I could peek at uh, Ryan Seacrest for a while, but uh, I'm just Seacrest out. So... Uh, that's going to drive me to the internet. And uh, why don't we just gather on after hours and we'll have our own little celebration and we don't have to depend on other, uh, uh, you know, internet related uh, entertainment like cats doing silly things. No, yeah, that's online. So there you go. Uh, let's go to our next question. 
Tommy Shantz in St. Paul, Minnesota asking, what is the best way to put your iPhone into your ATEM without wires? Jesse. Um, the best way, I, I, I don't know if it's possible to do it with uh, entirely without wires, but right now uh, my iPhone is currently wireless and I've got it uh, transmitting to the newest OS Ventura. And you should be able to see that um, we've got that in in the ATEM. That's uh, camera three on the ATEM. Here's the overhead camera two. And back to camera one. Nice. Uh, Nigel? So I guess one of the ways you could do this is continuity camera into a Mac and then make it, uh, you know, share the Mac through your HDMI cable. And that would be a way to solve that. Also... A good suggestion. Mitchell? NDI works well. AirPlay can work well. Um, they're all wireless, so that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. Um, now, of course, you, you can get the direct cable as well. As we mentioned, let's go to our next question. Next one in from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. What's the best roll-your-own home security system? John? Yeah, two years ago, we purchased a German Shepherd Poodle mix. She was uh, kind of costly, but worth it. <laughs> Nigel? So, uh, Paul and I have this conversation often. Um, don't buy the best. Buy the one that integrates with everything else you have. Because if you buy the best of everything, you get a complete mess. I'll tell you that integration starts with point solutions islands of automation, and then real integration. The best way if you want an integrated system is start thinking integration and go that way. Um, You you can always find one technical solution that's slightly better than the others, or the camera has a slightly higher definition or something. But if it doesn't all work together and you can't manage it, then it really doesn't matter. And Mitchell? I like uh, Nest. Uh, that's pretty good for that. Uh, Ring. And by the way, Shaquille O'Neal owns a big piece of that. He's also their pitch man. So uh, there's a lot of uh, systems that you can consider to be roll your own. Uh, but uh, talking cameras, I think that's what Paul likes to use. I don't know what uh, brand he uses. Fantastic. And John. Has I do. He, he's, a, he's a wise user. So wise is the best security system on the low end. It's Super great value the, the for the price of those cameras for what you get is a great value at the high end. It's access AXIS. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, thank you, our panel, for providing um, you know a source for our community to reach out. Thank you for all of your questions. Uh, we also appreciate everyone that's working on the show. We'll get more into that as we roll our ending credits. But this is the end of our show. Our second part is our focus on education, and John will be handling that. John, uh, what do you have for us today? Thanks, Josh. During Education Hour, our panel will be discussing different ways that you can draw on your screen or camera feed, specifically. The technical term for this is telestration, but we'll be talking about how you can get that same effect at various price points and different equipment levels. The show will resume in about five minutes after a short break. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our Education Hour. Education Hour is our once-a-week hour during office hours where we talk about topics that matter to our educators, specifically our K-12 teachers, but for anyone who wants to instruct anyone else. And today, since uh, we've it's a hot topic frequently, we wanted to talk a little bit about drawing on your screen or 
annotating or sometimes called telestrating. So we'll have a great conversation led by our questions put forth by our producers about the best ways to draw on your screen, including different techniques you can use at different price points. Uh, let's go ahead and get started with a few questions. So Aaron, what's our first question? Our first question comes to us from John Failer from Greenfield, Massachusetts. I work at a makerspace that has a Google Jamboard that uses UV pens. When I plug in a Windows laptop, it essentially becomes a 55-inch 4K touchscreen, but the pens no longer work. Any ideas on how to make the UV pens work? I did a little bit of research on this uh, during the previous hour, and the most common answers I saw to that personally were check your graphics drivers, especially for Windows 10 machines. And that seems to fix the problem because a lot of people, when they draw on it, they don't see the drawings on their own screen, but other people can. Uh, the other thing to watch out for is make sure you have any application software installed, but I've never used a Jamboard myself. Aaron? So while I have not used my... I, so I have a Promethean board at school, um, and we use our Chromebooks. But what I've noticed is that sometimes when teachers plug in their Chromebooks or other devices from home and then try to use um, an Apple Pencil or some other type of um, device, you've had to go into settings and make sure that all the mirroring is on and things to that nature. Um We've also had a few issues every now and then where the pens aren't connected with the Promethean, which is, I guess, maybe similar to this. And honestly, just turning it off and turning it back on again usually will get the pens to work. The old troubleshooting tip that works for almost everything. Plug it and replug it back in. Thanks, Aaron. What's our next question? Our next question comes to us from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. What's the quickest, easiest way to use an iPad Pro with the new pencil to draw on a screen in Zoom? I'm glad you asked, Paul, because one of the four ways that I was going to make sure that we talked about today is using an app called Video Pencil. But Tony, uh, would you like to share your thoughts? Absolutely. I'm just going to demonstrate uh, using Video Pencil. So I am writing video pencil. Office hours. Didn't work that time. Let's change colors. Office hours. And Tony, what do you think are some of the main benefits to using the Video Pencil app? So what I'm using is this is an iPad Pro M1. It has the Video Pencil app on it. And on my Mac Mini, I have, there's a free application that you can download called Video Pencil Camera. So in Zoom, once it's installed, you will select video camera app on, in the Zoom. And then you will turn on video pencil app in 
on your iPad and they see each other and you can clear, you can change colors, pens, markers, and you guys can't see it, but there's a lot of different tools. So if I put, if I say video pencil, didn't work that time, I'm gonna clear. Video pencil. So I'm writing it this time instead of saying it. Okay. Yeah, video pencil and uh, Michael Forrest's other app, Shoot Camera, have a feature where it will take your microphone and transcribe it into text on your screen after you right. do a specific gesture that it can be a little tricky, especially um, drawing with a pencil. John, did you have something else to add? Since I know Paul likes to do everything the hard way, I've known Paul for many years now. And and for, for at least three years, I use Procreate on my iPad with the green screen behind it. And I bring that into OBS and then I composite it out and bring it into Zoom. It's an old school way. So, John, for our teachers who maybe aren't as familiar with things like OBS or Greensky compositing out, can you explain that in terms that maybe someone less familiar with the topic might understand? I said that tongue-in-cheek just to just to make Paul mad a little bit because he likes to play around a little bit. So, um, the, the the hard thing was was getting getting the pencil feed in into the computer, and so you have to run a third-party application. I use I use OBS because it's free. It runs way better on PC than it does on Mac. Uh, but there's another piece of software we need to run in order to get the screen from the iPad into, into OBS, which is an NDI feed. So this way, super cumbersome video pencils, way, way easier. But, but in the old days, this is how we had to do it. We had to run multiple pieces of software, composite that into OBS, and then run a green screen on that and then feed that into Zoom. It, it, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and I think one thing that really helps understand what's happening in the process, especially when drawing on a camera feed, is the camera feed and the drawing are always two separate layers. You're not drawing directly on a camera feed. You're either using some piece of software that overlays over the top of it, and then you might need software to remove the background of whatever you're drawing on top of it. So um, we can talk about some of those different options as well here in a little bit. But um, Tony, did you have something else to add? I, I just wanted to add that I am using both Video Pencil and the Shoot app in my setup. So you are seeing me using the Shoot app as a video camera. I'm, I'm sorry, as a webcam. And I'm using Video Pencil to demonstrate. So I'm, I'm using both products. Great. Aaron? So I don't know if we'll be getting to this later, but I have two apps that I use, especially when I was remote. Would you like me to share those or wait until a little later? Go ahead and share them. Okay. So when I was remote, the biggest thing that I used was either Notability or I used, lately I've been using um, GoodNotes. And what I would do is I would have a worksheet or something that my students were working on and I would use my downstream key on my ATEM Mini to pop it up on the screen over where I was. And then I would be able to draw right on it so that they could see what they were working on in real time. Like that. Um, I typically did not use 
the um the drawing directly on the layer um but if i did i would make sure that my background was black let me make my text a little bit thicker and made sure i had a bright color that the kids could see but then I always had difficulty figuring out which way I was supposed to be so they could see the writing. But the first way was the biggest way that I used with um, good notes and with notability. And so, Aaron, there we can see a little bit of a transparent rectangle in your background. Is that intentional? Um, and how did you achieve that effect? So the way that I achieved that was that with the page with the direct worksheet or the reading on it, it was just a direct picture that I dropped into the app. But when I was using, um, when I was writing over the screen, I changed my background to black so that they could see that it was a little bit transparent, like they could still see something, but it wasn't always super visible. So I'm working on that one because I haven't used that exact app in a couple months. But um, when I figure that out, I'll let you know. And are you using, did you say you were using a downstream key for that? Yes. So on my ATEM Mini, um, it's kind of a different setup than what I had originally. But when um, whenever I would click that, that specific button, that's what would appear on the screen. But usually it would be its own input. So you wouldn't actually even see me at all in it. It would just be that my iPad would take up the entire input. Fantastic. And I think one of the, the biggest benefits of using an iPad as your input device is the native drawing tools for iPad are significantly better than almost anything you can get on a PC or Mac application. And I think it's because Apple's done so much work in making sure that those pen strokes feel natural. So the, the strokes have a real natural weight to them. And like Michael Forrest's video pencil app, that uses just the native drawing tools. And you and one of the great things about that particular app is you can either draw straight on your camera feed using the, the camera app that Tony was talking about if you have both a Mac and an iPad. So it maybe doesn't suit all teachers. But if you have those two things, it, the app itself is $40 and it gives you some really great drawing tools. And you can, you can preview on your iPad your camera feed, which is, this is the first app I've seen do that. Um, so what you can do is draw on your iPad and you see what you're drawing on. And so you can avoid your own body and that sort of thing. Secondly, you have these great drawing tools. One negative to video pencil is it doesn't have any shapes. So you can't draw straight lines or rectangles or ellipses yet. And the other thing I noticed is that sometimes when you're drawing, especially putting it into zoom as a virtual camera, you can get some weird white flecks, especially around certain curves. And I think that just has to do with um, how it's, figuring out what to add on top of the video feed and what to remove. So those are some things to watch out for when you're using video pencil. But I would agree for most people who have an iPad and a Mac, that's probably the best choice for drawing straight on your camera feed. One other great thing about video pencil is you can actually select still media as well. So you can bring in a picture from your camera roll or from a document and telestrate directly onto that document and it goes through your webcam settings on your computer. Another great thing about Video Pencil is that it shows up as a virtual camera, so it can be used in any application that uses virtual cameras. It can even be used in PowerPoint. So if you want a, a live video feed in a PowerPoint presentation, you can use Video Pencil as the input into the PowerPoint Cameo, is the function there. 
And so you can draw straight on your PowerPoint as well, which is um, something unique to PowerPoint. Keynote cannot do virtual cameras yet, but PowerPoint can. So those are a few features of Video Pencil. Uh, go ahead, Erin. I figured it out. So when I'm on Notability, that's something I haven't used in a very long time. When I put my black background up and I click my downstream key, there is the background with no transparency. So I think it was just a good notes issue. Uh, so maybe you didn't have a pure black background or something when you were using your key. Tony. And I just wanted to add one last thing. So I've because I'm using an ATEM Mini Pro, um, I can actually use Video Pencil to write on um, a video through my Apple TV. So for example, I could pull up a Netflix movie, play it in the Zoom meeting, and actually write on it. Um, I played around with, I uh, I had a um, original Star Trek series on, and I was writing uh, while the, the video was actually playing in the Zoom meeting, I was writing Vulcan, uh, Captain Kirk, actually while the the series was playing. So that's another use case. You can use your Apple Pencil with an ATEM to actually write on live video. Um, uh, and so I wouldn't do that now because of copyright issues, but it, it it's, it's pretty cool to be able to do that. Awesome. And, and Tony, I'm actually noticing you're drawing your squiggle there. I did not have those white artifacts that I was getting on mine. So maybe there's something um, with the color I was choosing or something for video pencil. So that's, I think, the quickest, easiest way. Now, not all of us have iPads or pencils. There are also free ways to telestrate or to draw on your screen or your camera feed. And the easiest one I can think of is Zoom itself. Uh, some people don't know this, but if you are sharing your screen then Zoom has some annotation features. So first you have to share a screen, and then on your Zoom toolbar, there will be a, a feature to annotate. And there's some very basic um, line drawing tools there, as well as rectangles and circles. And you can choose your colors, and, that, and you can even select the items and move them around, which you can also do in Video Pencil. Not every app lets you help let you move a drawing after you've drawn it. So um, that's one free tool that most of us have if you're in a Zoom meeting. Teams has a similar feature as well. If you're not in a Zoom meeting, you can always use your presentation software like uh, Keynote and PowerPoint both have the ability to draw on your presentation. And they're very limited drawing tools. They're just a simple pen or highlighter. Um, and they just, they're not as good. For Keynote, you do need to have a separate device to use as the remote in order to draw on the screen for a Keynote presentation. But I wanted to make sure that we also consider free versions as well. So those are two free options you have when you're talking about telestration. And then the fourth one that um, I had mentioned earlier was what Aaron's alluded to, which is called the downstream key. Uh, we can get back into these if, if our producers have any questions about those four different techniques or others. Please make sure you put them in the chat. We'd be happy to dive deeper on any of these topics. But Aaron, what's our next question? Our next question comes to us from John Filer in Greenfield, Massachusetts. I have previously seen teachers making a smart board out of a projector and an old Wii remote. Anyone have any experience with this? 
that seems like a real MacGyver move. I'm trying move. I'm trying to think of like what even you could do uh, with that. Now I know you the old Wii remote had the ability to like make a little hand, and it senses where you're you're pointing. It's just an infrared remote, but I'm not sure how you would turn that into a smart board. Uh, so I apologize. I don't have a better answer, but that sounds really intriguing. If you have any information on that or YouTube videos on how they did that, I, for one, would be really interested in learning more about that. Aaron, what's our next question? Our next question comes to us from David Brady from New York City. For anyone looking to dip a toe into scan processing, check this out. There's more than one way to draw on a screen. And they give us a YouTube link. Go ahead, John. This is this is amazing. I have my my one of my bachelor's degrees is in electronics, a double E, and I've got a scope sitting out in my garage. And I challenged Alex, are you listening? I challenged Alex to get our scopes working. So I'm going to put my scope over here. I hope it will fit over here. And then running this software on your PC, you can generate these patterns and then feed this back into the oscilloscope. So this looks like a really fun, fun project. It's a little out of this scope, but it's a fun project. Yeah, so it's a sounds like a visualization based off of the noise something here. Uh, is that what the oscilloscope part of it has to do with, John? Exactly correct. Yeah, that's a, you build your own equalizer almost. That's a really interesting idea. And you could I'm trying to think of how you might be able to use that in education, but um, yeah, drawing on screen is more than just illustrating on top of your camera. It's anything you do that enables you to be interactive in what you're presenting to students, whether in a classroom setting or in a Teams meeting. Go ahead, John. Hey, John, uh, I don't, this isn't the proper place to say this, but I wanted to fit it in because I can't find any questions that resemble this kind of um, technique that I've seen. I just, over the holidays, I was, I was sick for like a week and I was in bed. I took the CS50 class from, from Harvard. I don't know if you've ever watched that one. Their, te their technique for teaching was really interesting, which was a hybrid. So we had three or 400 people in his auditorium. And all he had was one giant screen on top of his head, a desk with two laptops that were connected to a big, like a, like an 85 inch screen. And he prepared everything on his keynote. So he had no whiteboard, no smart boards, anything else. That's how they teach this entire class. And I thought it was super effective and super efficient. I don't know if that's a similar technique that teachers are using these days or not. Yeah, I think one of the tools that was pretty consistent for teachers to have is a screen in the classroom that they can present to. Now, not every teacher has that, but most teachers have at least a PC or a Mac, less likely, and the ability to show something to all their students. And so one question might be, how can we use that in things like make unique presentations or slide decks and integrate other tools to be able to have a more interactive drawing. Um, and so, yeah, I think most teachers do have some ability to share a screen in the classroom. And if not, you know, if the students have devices, there's also online tools where you can share your screen virtually as well. Um, I think actually both PowerPoint and Keynote have that ability as well as a whole bunch of other online presentation tools. Um, that could be if you were like a, a Chromebook classroom, for example. And so I'd be interested to any questions that we have for that or any teachers who have any thoughts on how you might use that. Um, Aaron, what's our next question coming up? Our next question comes to us from Craig McFarlane in Boston. Any experience on the panel using the Insta360 Links whiteboard focus feature? 
I did not get an Insta360 for Christmas this year, unfortunately, uh, but I have seen some demonstrations using the whiteboard feature. And, and what the whiteboard feature, um, the biggest function the feature allows is you it gives you four stickers that you put on the corners of your whiteboard, and the Insta360 camera will detect where your whiteboard is. And specifically, if your whiteboard's askew, it can do some basic keystoning, I think, to make sure that it's um, correcting for any skewness in your camera, as well as focusing right on, or excuse me, on your whiteboard, as well as focusing right on the whiteboard, so that if you are using a physical whiteboard, uh, the camera points right at it. Now, my personal experience using whiteboards in virtual meetings is the glare from lights is almost always a, fa a factor at some point. And so it's almost not worth it for me to use a physical whiteboard because it's so hard for my audience to be able to read it. And I've tried quite a few different whiteboards, marker combinations, positioning, and it's never quite as good as being able to either use a virtual whiteboard in like a Microsoft Teams or just drawing directly on the screen with some sort of telestration software. So I'd be curious if anyone has used the 360 link and how it works and how it performs with a whiteboard. Specifically, can you see the drawing, which is where I think most people struggle with that, especially because of Claire. Next question. Our next question comes to us from John Failer in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Has anyone tried out the app Epic Pen for Windows? It's simple and works best if your computer is touch screen and has an active pen with a stream deck for hotkeys. It's much better. Only downside is that the app needs to be in focus. Yeah, I was checking this out. I personally don't use Windows that often. I'm, I'm using my Mac, and there's several applications on the Mac that are similar. But this does look like a, a really well-rounded application you can use, especially if you want to use your, your uh, Windows PC as a telestration for a, a Luma key or a Chroma key. And um, now's a good time as any to talk about that. So I'm going to share my screen really quick, and I'll, I'll give kind of the rough overview of what happens with a Chroma key. And so I'm sharing one of my desktops. And what I use for my uh, Luma key and for myself to draw on the screen is I just have a black desktop. And I use several apps. I used to use an app called Presentify, but I found out late last night that Presentify has changed it so all of their drawing tools are uh, semi-transparent, which does not work great. It just makes everything look muddy. So I found a new app for my Mac. It was called uh, Brush Pen or something like that. I'll get the name and I'll put it into notes. Um, and I have that coordinated with my, or screen brush, excuse me. I have that coordinated with my um, stream deck as well. So I push a button on my stream deck and it puts me into drawing mode. And I can just draw straight on my screen. And it has some pencils. It has the ability to draw straight lines if you would like. Or you can draw an arrow if you need to point to a specific thing. As well as rectangles and ovals. And I think those are key. For me personally, I need the ability to draw a regular shape. You can also undo and move items as well. So how a Luma key works is you're just drawing on a black screen. And then when you run the black screen with the drawing into your ATEM Mini, for example, or into your OBS, the hardware or software tool basically takes your screen and says, take everything on the screen and re remove anything that's black. So it becomes a transparent screen with just a shape. And when you apply that onto your camera, it, the rest of my black background is transparent and you get a yellow rectangle. 
So that's how the um, Luma key function of an ATEM mini works, or OBS can also do the same thing. But um, how I use it is I actually use a, a, a drawing tablet. And how a drawing tablet works is pretty similar. Um, basically, you have the tablet. And the tablet itself you can think of as having its own two layers. And the first layer is the video feed to the tablet. And this is what you see on the screen when you draw. And the top layer is the input screen. And for most people, when they're using a, a drawing tablet, they just connect their tablet into their PC or Mac. And the Mac gives its desktop to the video layer of the tablet. And then the tablet is really it's just a full screen touch screen of the Mac or the PC. So whatever you touch, wherever you touch on your tablet, your computer thinks you're clicking a mouse in that same spot. And so how it works is basically I'm going to switch up my video feed so that instead of being the computer screen that goes to my video feed, all I do is I take the input from my ATEM. My ATEM video comes from my camera. So I'll draw my little camera here. So my camera goes into my ATEM. That video feed goes into my tablet. My tablet then goes into my Mac. And then my Mac gives that black screen that you saw earlier to my ATEM. And then my ATEM combines the video feed from my camera and my Mac together in a Luma key. And that's how I get the drawing on my screen. And any software that can draw on a black screen can be used in a Luma key. And the main power to using a Luma key instead of like a video pencil is you have complete control. You don't need any special software because I can control what feeds into my ATEM and what comes out of my ATEM perfectly. And so that's why I personally use a graphics tablet instead of something different is for me, it gives me more control and I don't have to worry about anything like that. So that's how I personally draw on the screen. But like we said, there's various different ways that we can do it. And I will stop my share. So um, that being said, Mark Giuliani. So um, just like you demonstrated, with the tablet, you can use other backgrounds too. So you can roll out Google Earth if you're talking to contractors and architects about developing a site and then just draw right over that on the tablet. So it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. Thanks. What's our next question, Erin? Our next question comes to us from John Foltz in Sellins Grove, Pennsylvania. If we have time, can Erin describe her experiences with Edge of Protocols? I've been experiencing, I've been experimenting with them with for use with college students. Go ahead, Erin. So I've loved using Edge of Protocols the past couple months. Um, one of the ones that we use the most. Um, with my students is called eight parts and eight parts is, let me see if I can pull that up. So eight parts is where I show the students a picture and then they have to fill out the boxes for the verbs, the adverbs, nouns and adjectives and all the other parts of speech. And then in that middle part, um, they're able to write a short paragraph or a short story based on the picture that they see. And I have to say that the way that teachers usually have to teach grammar is doing, you know, common nouns for a week, then proper nouns for a week. And then we get into 
um, pronouns and object pronouns, subject pronouns. And it takes a while to go through all the different parts of speech and then trying to loop back to that right before testing time. They forget what all the first, you know, three months of school's grammar lessons were. But with eight parts, if we did it at least two or three times a week, they're introduced and reminded of them weekly. And they're using all eight parts of speech. I've had students ask to do grammar, ask to do grammar. And they actually asked me once while the superintendent and the assistant superintendent was in the room. They were pretty impressed. <laughs> um, so that's one of the parts that I use pretty frequently. Um, the other one that I've been using a lot is Iron Chef. Um, I do have an example of one that I use. I don't know how clearly it's going to be shown. So this one we did around Halloween, um, and it was all about candy. So what I did, and it's a very basic template that we're able to use. So you can give them an article, you can give them a video. So I did videos. The first video was how Skittles are made. And then they give three, excuse me, they give me three facts about how they're made. They put in a picture and then the secret ingredient for this one was, what's your favorite type of candy? We've also done this with science topics. So that way you're able to pull in different types of content but that template is already made. It's already made. And a lot of times with older students, you can say your topic is thunderstorms. Your topic is, you know, coding this type of thing. And they're able to do research on their own and link their article so that you're doing even less work as the teacher. It's a lot of just student-led practices that they're able to use to help themselves and each other learn the content material. So those are the two ones I use the most frequently, but I've been starting to use some other ones that I think, you know, they're going to start to ask for by name because they're fun. Once they learn how to do it the first one or two times, it's very easy. So then all they're really focusing on is the content. Great. Thanks, Aaron, for that update. And what's our next question? Our next question comes to us from Cindy Drozda in Erie, Colorado. Can I use Video Pencil with Windows? Go ahead, Tony. The short answer is no, you can't. But what you can do is since you have an iPad, this, by the way, is Michael Forrest's actual page. And this is Squares TV. And... I was actually going to scroll up on it. So let's do it this way. So these are all the different applications on it. But what I wanted you to know was that you can use your iPad and write directly on your iPad. So you can use it independent of the actual Windows machine. You can use your iPad with video pencil and do... Um, your um your writing using just the um the iPad. So that's an option. Thanks. Yeah, there are there are, are various ways. Um and, and it's a little tricky depending on how this question's written. Video pencil is an iPad app. 
but you can take the output from Video Pencil and you can use that in Windows if, for example, you had an Atom Mini Switcher as a physical way to do that. But I believe Video Pencil can also export as a NDI source, which is a way to send a camera signal over a network. And any Windows app that can pick up an NDI camera should be able to pick up the Video Pencil source. Now, it won't have the same integration with your webcam necessarily because it doesn't have the Video Pencil camera app on PC that I've seen. So it depends a little bit on your setup, but there are ways to have some functionality from Video Pencil that you can use with Windows. Erin, uh, what's our next question? Our next question comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. The NFL uses Microsoft Surface tablets to not only access historical data, but for live analysis of plays and telestrating. How would they get the video out of them for broadcast? USB-C to HDMI to SDI? Douglas, I think that's a great question to ask one of our other days of the week where we have video specialists. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sure that they are not using video pencil um, for live telestration. Uh, a lot of my understanding is a lot of network-based telestrating uses dedicated hardware, and I'm sure that they would have some sort of network-based camera like an NDI or an SEI um, and have that ability to get into an actual telestrating device. But I don't know the answer to that uh, directly um, or thoroughly. Next question. Our next question comes to us from Bobby Rafferty in Central Florida. Can we discuss ways to actually share art drawing as an artist? We sure can. Do any of our panelists have suggestions on how you would share your drawing as an artist? Go ahead, Tony. I am not an artist. But what I, but what I will say is that I have seen, um, uh, I've had a guest, uh, Dan Flores, who is an artist, and several other um, artists have been on Conversation with Tony Mobley. Um, it is really about your familiarity with the tools that you use that really shows how uh, your art coming forth. And um, I would encourage you to whatever medium you use, just to continue to share it that way. Um, video, if if I was a, a, a decent artist, I could use video pencil or I could use... Um, one of the, um, I mentioned Dan Flores, he uses the Microsoft, um, now I forgot the name of it, um, drawing tablet, uh, Windows computer. And he, the art that he does on that um, uh, Windows device um, is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It really has more to do with the artists themselves than I would say any tools because the artists will make the tools work for them with familiarity. Thanks, Tony. Go ahead, Aaron. So I'm wondering if this is, I'm hoping I'm answering the question the way it should be. One of my students, when we were remote a couple of years ago, was obsessed with Procreate. So she was able to connect her device to um, her setup somehow. I don't remember how she did it, but she was able to draw on the screen and let kids see what she was doing. Um, it actually became a great breakout space where 
students would say, oh, can you draw me? Can you draw me? And she would draw them as anime characters or things like that. But I think that's one way to share if you're actually physically drawing on the screen. That's really interesting. Was she an art teacher or just a teacher who was an artist? Oh, no, this was a student. Oh, student. Sorry, I totally misheard you. Um, huh, that's fascinating. I was thinking, uh, what you made me think is, I wonder if in an art class, the teachers, how they share their technique, like to the whole class, are they using overhead cameras and they're drawing on physical paper and that's sharing onto like a screen somewhere? Or are they using something like a Procreate, Procreate or a tablet sketching tool and having that display on a, on a computer screen in the classroom? Uh, because when I was in art class, Basically, the art teacher walked around to every student and drew the same thing on each of our pieces of paper, uh, and it must have taken him 10 times as long because of that. Uh, oh, ahead. yeah. Oh, I thought it was oh, about years of him. Um, did you have something else, uh, other thoughts, Erin? Well, I know when my art teacher was remote, she had to do something similar to that if she wanted to draw um, live. She had to have a document camera that was hooked up to her Chromebook. Um, one... Um, source that I know a lot of teachers use and I use even in the classroom sometimes is it's a YouTube channel called Art Kids Hub or Art Hub Kids. And it's um, a father and son that draw something together and they go through step by step how to draw it. So the father will start to make it and the son will copy. Um, and my students have made some great art with that. Awesome. Tony? Yeah, it was Microsoft Surface was the device that I couldn't remember for whatever reason. Uh, I also wanted to mention Dan Flores again. He does a thing he does during the week with his grandchildren, and they get on LinkedIn and Facebook, and they draw. And so it, it's an amazing thing to see them. Their interaction is phenomenal, but also the fact that they are actually creating art and doing different things. And it's just uh, awesome. So if you get a chance to check them out, it's uh, Dan Flores. Yeah, and I think there's lots of different ways to share your art. Uh, for example, you could most, I think most people probably share their art in Instagram these days, especially uh, our adolescents. You can also share it on DeviantArt. I saw uh, somebody in the chat, Jack Cannon in the chat, suggested DeviantArt.com. Now, that those sources don't protect your art. And I think if you actually want to protect your art, where we'll see in the future, the most the easiest way to do that will be by using an NFT system to be able to basically put a, a permanent watermark on the art itself so you can verify what the original is and um, use that for checking for appropriate use in the future. It's a totally different conversation, uh, but those are some ways you can share your art. What's our next question? Our next question comes to us from Deborah Woodfork in Washington, DC. What are some do's and don'ts when writing on screen? Color choice, fonts, others? Go ahead, Mark. So you want to pick a color that's in contrast to what your background is and makes it easy to read. Sometimes the background just needs to be a plain background. And sometimes if you bring other sources in, let me just switch cameras here for a second. You want to have a, as you can see this now, can you guys see that? Yeah, you can. So you can see the color green works well over a map trying to point out something, but also uh, it works somewhat well in a background like mine. 
But there are other times when I know I'm going to be doing a lot of presenting and I'll just put a gray backdrop up. And do you find any, are there any particular rules, Mark, for architecture and uh, marking up architecture drawings or anything like that? You know, uh, there are some software packages that are designed that already have tools that architects are used to. One of them is called Bluebeam. And so if you can put Bluebeam, which is a PDF reader, have the open up the PDF drawing in that, it has a lot of tools that architects are familiar with for marking up drawings, clouds, and things like that. Great. Aaron, what do you think are best practices? Best practices are similar to what Mark said, making sure that you have a very different contrasting color to what you're working with. So whenever I was working on a black screen, I would usually use like hot pink, um, a medium to bright orange, yellow, or white. Um, If I was drawing on a white background with a worksheet, it could really be any color at that point. Um, But something that I did notice the first few times I was using it was, so I used to use Notability and good notes for things like journaling or planning and things like that. So I would be writing in a very thin pencil style for myself because I'm the only one that's reading it. But I noticed when I didn't change that for my students, they were like, "Miss Graham, I can barely see. Can you write bigger? So I had to change the font or the pencil to like a medium to large writing font so that it wouldn't be um, too small for them to see. So I would say definitely a bright color and use a thicker pen or pencil stroke. Yeah, and I think it's also important to to recognize that your audience is likely viewing your feed on something different than a full screen computer. And so you want to have something that can be viewable on something very small, like a cell phone or something tucked away in a corner of a screen, like someone who might minimize their screen. So I would agree with the contrast and size being really important. And also, I think that brings up a whole different set of questions about how do we make drawing accessible, especially someone who's visually impaired. Um, and that's you know something that maybe we can talk about as well. I think one of the keys there that I've been trying to do myself, and I actually didn't practice it, so I apologize, is describing what you're drawing. And I, you know, when I had my drawing of the graphics tablet, I should have said on this first rectangle, this represents my graphics tablet instead of just saying, here's a graphics tablet and just assuming that people could see it because you don't know if the person even has the screen up in front of them. Like you can't just assume that if you're a teacher in a classroom, sometimes you can require it. But in my experience, not everyone does what they're required to do either. So those are some other considerations to have. Aaron, do we have another question? Yes, we do. We have one from Cindy Drozda in Erie, Colorado. Is there a way to use my iPad to draw on screen using vMix on Windows? I'd like to draw on the iPad and have the drawing be overlaid onto the vMix output window. Go ahead, Arshid. Uh, I wanted to speak on the previous question, but I'll pass. Oh, go ahead and uh, speak on the previous question, and then we'll come back to this one. I'll come back to it. <laughs> All right. Um, VMix on Windows. Go ahead, John Preto. So I would run uh, Procreate on the iPad, and then I would run NDI. This is exactly what I was talking about earlier for, for VMix specifically. So Procreate running on the iPad, and then NDI tools on the iPad, and you could feed that directly in, into VMix and chroma key out the drawing. 
or or Luma key it out, either one of those ways, but that will work perfectly. And John, does does it have to be a virtual camera? What kinds of cameras can VMix bring into it? NDI, it will bring an NDI image in from the iPad. So they're both on the same network, bring NDI into vMix. And I assume OBS has almost this very similar functions and features, and it would work very similarly, but exactly. I, my understanding exactly. is vMix is stronger, more powerful. Uh, vMix is uh, more professional-ish. Um, the, a huge community running OBS on the PC side. Every 90% of what you see on Twitch is OBS. And so they've got a they've got lots of hours of of live streaming on OBS. If you're running on a PC, then uh, you can use OBS. But if you if she's already got VMix, run VMix. It it accepts NDI's input, so you can feed that directly into VMix. Great, thank you, Tony. I just wanted to add that there's a lot of conversation in the chat, and Chris uh, Sabato and uh, Chad LaForge are both mentioning different ways in which you can use uh, video pencil as far as with vmix so she she needs to check that out as well yes thanks for pointing that out tony and make sure you're paying attention to our chat because there's lots of great answers to our questions showing up there we don't have any other questions on deck right now so if any panelists would like to give a last word um arjit if you wanted to share go ahead um oh, one more question is coming through Go ahead, Erin, what's our last question? Right, pulling up the question. Okay, our question comes to us from Harshid in Daytona Beach, Florida. What have you learned in the year as far as accessibility and especially with your corporate or education environments? I have learned a lot. Um, a lot of it has been from other people in office hours, including Harshid and Laura, uh, just pointing out when things I've done, they weren't able to be a part of and helping me understand how can I better um, make sure that the information I'm sharing is accessible to them. But also that's directly impacted me at work. Uh, for the first time at work this year, we had one person come who has a vision impairment and we had to totally change how we train this person. And it turned out she wasn't able to perform the call center functions of our role. So we actually moved her into a different position. But it was because of the support and understanding I had, and I even asked her, she directly like, hey, how can I help this person? Um, it helped me be more empathetic to her needs as well as think about how do we serve her. And it, it's important mostly because it's the right thing to do, but it's also the legal thing to do. So I was really appreciative to have that feedback myself. Mitchell? I thought uh, what you said, John, makes a lot of sense and resonates with me. Um, as a sometimes web designer, um, I've been known to skip over alt tags just because I'm so busy and i got to do other things. But uh, now that I have friends here on uh, office hours uh, and friends that go beyond uh, accessibility, um, it's more important to be more um, sensitive to that. Or you said empathetic, and I think that's exactly the word. Uh, I'm more empathetic and much less likely to skip things like that, uh, be much more sensitive to those needs, uh, because that makes you a better citizen, too. Thanks, Mitchell. Uh, Aaron, what's our next question? Our next question comes to us from James Babbitt in San Diego. Do these solutions draw on a screen that shows the actual video so you can see where you're drawing? Go ahead, Mark. Yes, so some of the tablets are actually monitors so that you can actually draw a shape 
just by looking. So right now I see myself on the tablet and I'm just drawing a very poor quality drawing. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I was describing is with the graphics tablets that have an HDMI in, you can put whatever HDMI in it you want. So for the uh, ATEM Mini solution, yes, it does. Tony. So I'm using ATEM Mini and you can see that I'm drawing on my I'm drawing on my logo of Conversation with Tony Mobley. And I'm going to do like Mark. I'm going to go around my head. And around my glasses and my nose and my mouth. So I'm not doing, I'm not very good either. But um, you can you can see everywhere that you need to because I can see the screen. You can see my bookcases up here. So uh, around my mic so yeah you can pretty much see everywhere you need to draw now i'm using the atem the ipad and the mac uh in one mac mini and you're seeing your camera feed on your ipad in the video pencil app correct absolutely i am seeing i am what you are seeing me i have selected video pencil app in zoom and so it is bringing over in my ATEM Mini, in port one is the Shoot app, iPhone, and that is my everyday daily driver for video, me being on video as a webcam. And then I am switching to video pencil camera, virtual camera in Zoom. And so it shows what you guys see on my iPad. And then I am able to draw in on the iPad everything that I can see in my background. Awesome. Mitchell. So it works great. Uh, you know, I'm really fascinated with what we're talking about here in this hour and the drawing and the apps and all the add-ons. But the only thing I haven't seen yet is something that will make me a better artist. I'm very afraid to draw badly, so I haven't done it quite yet. Well, and when you're on a screen, you're arms way out, so it's even harder to draw. And it's a, a screen, so it's not like drawing on paper. Not that I was good at drawing on paper either. Uh, Harshit? Yeah, let's not talk about AI and where that could probably take us in that realm. But I wanted to take both from the previous question of accessibility learned and then this question even with video. As you mentioned that Tony started talking about the emotions that he was drawing on his glasses, his, his logo. And it started building a picture in my head. So he was illustrating in my brain, basically, like, oh, okay, that's what he's doing. Oh, he moved over here. So, you know, it's the power of words and, and just usability in every day. Uh, he didn't change much. He just started talking about what he was doing. And so what the previous question stated and what I've learned is just sharing and then committing to it. You know, it's just uh, if you're presenting a video, uh, commit to it and express what you want to express in that video. So if you commit to what you're going to say in the first screen and then say, okay, look at the left, we're going to look at the logo, look at the middle, we're going to look at the, the meat of the paper. At the bottom, you see it says sincerely, that's the signature. And then you have a footer, you have a header. So when you're, you're just saying these little key, key phrases, you know where the placement is on a piece of paper or a document. So it's always important, and even with video, to represent uh, just explanations or uh, making things understandable. Thank you for sharing that, Harshid. Mark? 
Well, I thought I would just show people in the ATEM how to set this up so it can work if you do have a tablet. So let me just switch over to camera three here, and now you guys should see my ATEM. And the, f the first thing that I do is I pick a color that, that works with the background, and you do that up with the color selections. And then I go down to the downstream key, and I pick uh, for this particular situation where I want to draw with me in the picture, I use camera two, which is another MacBook uh, that's running Autodesk software that's called Sketch Pro, Sketchbook Pro. And that lets me draw. It shows up on the MacBook. The MacBook brings it in through the ATEM. And then if I want to draw on a different image altogether, I just have it hooked into the ATEM as a different camera and bring that source in that way and still use the same color. So I don't know if people have questions about this. You do have to set up your uh, key with your clip and your gain, and you can do a mask, which I find helps uh, eliminate some of the things that show up on the computer that has the Sketchbook Pro running. Thanks for pointing that out, Mark. Tony? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think one of the things that um, the reason why I've embraced Video Pencil is because um, I have an ATEM and Mark, I have <laughs> I have not been able to figure out um, how to do it that way. So for me, Video Pencil is a lot easier um, just installing the app. And um, now I'm, I'm going to say that there was an error on my part. And so it originally did not get installed properly. But one of the unique things, um, I have a lot of good friends in after hours. And so because of that, I was able to get it to work correctly. But what that did do is that allowed me to experiment a lot with NDI and other solutions and Ecamm and other things to get it to work. And we were successful in getting it to work. But when it works the way it's supposed to work, it's very easy to use. So that if you have an iPad and if you have a Mac, it is a seamless um, tool to use. And so I encourage anyone who has has and you can use it uh for free um it does have a watermark on it but you can use it for free and that's the main thing that i wanted to share and then if you decided that you wanted to actually purchase it it's 40 dollars. So. thanks tony uh, what's our next question aaron our next question comes to us from paul wallace in austin texas what's the best aggregator type site for learning about pencil apps Google. <laughs> um, I When I looked for apps today, I was actually just, I went to the Mac App Store and just searched for screen annotation because using a Luma key like I do, I just need something that can draw on any screen. And there was a, a handful of apps there, some, and they all cost less than $10. I downloaded a few, tried them out. And like I said, I used to like Presentify, but this screen brush app is working really well for me today. I just need to learn some of the keystrokes better. Next question. And our final question comes to us from Paul Wallace. What topics are coming up on future education Saturdays? Thanks, Paul. I'm so glad you asked. That's the, one of our main topics next week in Education Hour is we'll be brainstorming ideas for the year 2023. Um, 
We do have in Discord a channel where you can see our upcoming calendar, and there's a document there if anyone's interested in. Just ping me in Discord and you can see the ones we have planned so far, although that does change from time to time. I want to say thank you everybody for joining us today. It's been an intriguing conversation, but unfortunately we're out of time. I want to extend a personal thank you to everyone who's keeping the show going. Each and every morning, there's a large group of volunteers who make office hours happen, including Aaron stepping in to answer questions today. For example, we have a whole group dedicated just to working uh, outside of show hours, planning and coordinating each morning, and, and that takes a lot of work. Then we have a crew behind the scenes each day who make sure the show looks great. They manage our questions, cut the show, add graphics, and many more tasks. Next, we have our panelists who generously give their time to answer our questions. And finally, our producers who decide what happens on the show by asking questions and voting in Mukana. We couldn't do the show without you. So thank you, everybody, for joining us on Education Saturday and in office hours. Um, typically, we use Saturday for training volunteers on new processes and new roles for office hours. So if you're interested, we encourage you to sign up through the web form that you get in your email every day. Today, Peter Belbin and Jeffrey Powers are learning new roles. So thank you, Peter and Jeffrey, for putting in some extra hours today. You can find next week's schedule in that morning email as well as well as links to our various special events and labs, like our new Accessibility Lab, which happens on Thursdays at 4.30 Pacific or 12.30 a.m. UTC. I, I guess I would be on a Friday now that I think about it. I want to encourage everyone here to stay through our credits and see the amount of effort that gets put into the show. You can see everyone who contributed today, including those who asked questions and those who've been, who have been working behind the scenes. We hope to see your name there sometime soon. Educational Hour will be back next Saturday, where we'll be brainstorming ideas for 2023. Until then, Happy New Year, and roll the credits. Whisper here, too. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll see you happy next year. year. Yeah, see you next year. See you soon. See you all.